Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight is episode 139, and we are covering the top five horror movies of 1971. Uh, last month, we covered 1970, and uh, this is our second episode of the year covering movies of the 70s, the horror movies. So, uh, Frank, I asked you last month about where horror is going during this time, like, to pick up off that conversation as we're moving away from the 60s into the 70s, is there anything about the list that you've developed tonight for 71 that you think shows any kind of further change whatsoever? Um, I mean, all five of these movies are pretty different from each other. Um, there's not a whole lot of, like, overlap, I don't think, in terms of, like, tone and theme. Um, I think you're seeing like in terms of I mean I don't know what was widely released and I assume that most of the stuff would have just been you know like low whatever like low but not not low budget that's not the right word but like grindhouse you know like cinemas or whatever um you see a lot more like foreign horror around this time and there's a lot more emphasis I think on as like wrong-headed as it is sometimes like the psychological horror um now throughout the 70s um kind of a shift away from something being a monster movie and being more of a you know like where the monster is a person or whatever um and that's true in a few of these movies at least um one questionably two definitely um you know but it's not like the thing that you aren't a big fan of which is like the the creaking castle gothic car with like the monster creeping around the corner i mean that's a lot less prevalent now than you know a person with a knife or whatever being the the killer in a movie so does this maybe then should i ask do you think this list with the kind of variety there is it an indication of the variety maybe then that is creeping into horror away from the kind of more traditional type things that we were yeah. used to in the 60s i mean you're not that far removed at this point from psycho which was a huge influence on um a lot of <clears throat> the horror directors of the 70s um you've kind of kind of have a, a niche audience and not not really niche but like stuff like the the british horror movies hammer and um i guess tegan would have been in producing films at this time where they're more focused on like your traditional like vampire frankenstein type movies um but there's an up-and-coming you know group of american filmmakers who are more focused on um the idea of like the psychological horror and something that could be more believable in terms of horror as opposed to like something like supernatural or fantastical um and then the italians are like really into that as well um mostly a little bit because of bava but i think mostly because of the success of um a movie we talked about last month with bird bird with crystal plumage um how argento was able to be 
artistic and like weave this pretty complex even if it's like slightly ridiculous narrative um and still achieve like you know pretty great success in terms of making a horror movie so mm-hmm. i think that's just appealing and you're really getting into the more the growth of psychology i think in general where people are looking more into the psychological reasons behind people who kill other people and um you know i think that that's kind of affecting like culturally why people are making those movies and you're a year removed now from a further year removed now from the 60s so you know you had like a lot of disillusionment i think of how the 70s were going and right you um, see that in one of these movies right i mean yeah like, yeah. yeah people who would yeah definitely one of the movies i think is a very direct yeah critique on the failure of like the peace and love and hippie whatever yeah. movement yeah. um so i think there's just a lot of factors involved that are kind of pushing people into more like darker directions where it's not something you can just kind of shrug off as like you know most people know there's not a dracula hanging out outside their window but you don't know what the person that lives next door to you is capable of or you know yeah so so the horror is now getting down to less supernatural more down to the the individual level like the the the, the darkness in people then yeah more. and even even movies that are more supernatural in nature as we go through the 70s um have a more human element to them where again it's not just like the you know pearl clutching bodice ripping horror of like really like everything up through the 60s and i like i'm not criticizing that stuff because i love a lot of that stuff but um you have directors like corman and we don't have any corman movies on this list specifically but you have directors like corman who are interested in even though they're making low budget you know kind of grindhouse films they're still interested in the idea of putting more thought into characterization and the psychology of things and a movie that we'll talk about probably five years from now when when you let me do a 1960s horror list um stuff like masquerade death which was pretty hugely influential you know takes poe and then adds some other elements to it um to really look more at the psyche of like the depravity of a person as opposed to just being like a cookie cutter monster i mean there's a you know like a depraved logic to um vincent price's character in that movie and it's just you'll see that blend a lot more like there's movies we'll talk about in the next couple of years specifically that have a very distinct like almost um mystical feel to them but are still kind of more about the characters and the yeah and i think the psychology of two of the movies that you have on this list would maybe maybe typically be two movies that if they had been done in the 60s i probably wouldn't have dug but it's like it's getting more down into like how fucked up humans are as a even though yeah. the subject matter is maybe something i don't wouldn't appeal to me traditionally um so yeah i definitely see that like uh man or humankind is is the real horror show kind of inserting itself here yeah and i think i think some of that too comes from 
stuff like the Twilight Zone and writers like Richard Matheson, who were really making an effort to um, to sort of bring more artistry uh, to the pulp fiction of the time. Yeah. Um, Matheson in particular, who will be involved in several movies that we'll talk about over the 70s, um, very much into the idea of like looking further into the characters that he's creating um you know and again you saw that in the twilight zone and you see it you know through hitchcock and then throughout the movies of the 70s you know i think there's just a lot of like psychic damage that was done to the world because of stuff like vietnam and um you know coming out of the idealism of the the flower power generation of the 60s and those people kind of realizing that they had to go out in the real world and be real people. Um, right. Right. Which is what's funny about going into the eighties, like not to skip too far ahead, but when we did the <laughs> movies of the seventies or when we did the, the B movies of the eighties, you just see a lot more um, almost like grand, grand Gugnol, uh horror mm-hmm. where it's more about the spectacle of the kill and the spectacle of the monster um not to say there's not psychological horror in the 80s but this is just and you see it in a lot of other movies too like we've we've talked about the 70s a lot and there is just a lot of hmm i don't know uh ennui not not even ennui they're just like yeah internal like damage to people i think that they're trying to process within these movies so yeah you know, the interesting thing about the 80s, too, is how much social commentary you start getting in the 80s, probably largely from the people that were living through this time period, going and doing horror movies and taking old things and then kind of putting social and political commentary like on the things of the 50s and 60s, you know, sure. um, you know, I mean, like that blob remake, you know, that when we talk about that and society and like all there are there's so yeah. many of them you know that are you know working on yeah are there and there's definitely definitely a ton of stuff in the 70s that's also mm-hmm. thinly veiled or not even thinly veiled like social commentary like very direct social commentary it's just it's funny because the italians have this almost i don't know like childlike look at psychology where they just yes like basically like oh man somebody somebody pushed him down when he was six and now he's stabbing people in the throat <clears throat> sure i mean um it's, it lacks a lot of nuance yes um although right somewhat correct at its core i suppose like um but yes completely lacks nuance like it's like they take childhood trauma and like you said reduce it down to yeah like they got they got slapped once by their father like and 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 now they're yeah. a butcher um yeah uh, all right so is there anything else on in 1971 that you want to talk about there's a ton of stuff yeah. um i really thought about putting the abominable dr fives on this list because i really enjoyed that movie um but I think we got enough price, you know, going forward. What is that? Um, I, 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 you never mentioned that to me. I don't. Think. I never seen the Doctor Fives movies. Mm-mm. He's a 
what is he? A, a, well, he's a doctor, but he like disguises himself, and it, it's almost like kind of like, I think like a Phantom of the Opera style um, story where he's you know menacing people. Um, it's 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 a good price performance. It's been a long time since I've seen um, the Abominable Doctor Fives and Doctor Fives Rises Again. I think is what the sequel's called. Um, but they're worth watching. They're free somewhere. At least one of them is. Um, there's a Pete Walker movie, Die Screaming Marianne, that I thought about putting on there. House of Drip Blood, which we had already talked about, um, right. is 71. Um, Mephisto Waltz, which we talked about when we talked to, what's his mm. name from Kentucky? Yes. Um, is 71. And I thought was a pretty, pretty, pretty great kind of like hidden gem horror movie. Um, there's a pseudo zombie giallo called the night evelyn came out of the grave which is um pretty goofy but has, has some pretty cool moments to it um not as good as the other giallo that's on this list but i i, I thought i, I kind of struggled with those two for a while because i really like the night evelyn came out of the grave but it's not as good a movie as the other one we're going to talk about um there's the tombs of the blind dead movie came out in 71 um, and I'm a really big fan of the Blind Dead movies. Um, I think we've talked about them a little bit. They're about the resurrected Knights Templar, like kind of riding through the Spanish countryside and just massacring everyone. Um, and Tombs of the Blind Dead, like stylistically, they're really great movies to watch, um, but there's really not much plot-wise going on. Um, and Willard is 71, and I thought about putting Willard on the list, but... Um, I think I have another list that I want to put Willard on at some point, so I was just kind of saving that aside. So that's it. About Eye Monster. Oh, right. I forgot about that. That was on the list. Um, it's a Dr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, I mean, obviously, they, they changed the names. I can't remember what the names they use are, but it's it's a riff on that. I, I like Jekyll and Hyde movies. Um, but ultimately like it was difficult to find I couldn't find a good copy of it and then I didn't really care to I don't go out of my way to find it so we just replaced it with uh, one of the other movies on this list right. which I think you enjoyed more anyway I, I did enjoy, though, I did enjoy more I, I mean I didn't think I monster was bad it's just not my thing um, I really liked uh, Christopher Lee in it a lot I, I, I really enjoy that performance. Yeah. I, I'm still I mean, nonplussed by Peter Cushing, but that's so weird to me. I love Peter Cushing. It's just one of those movies that's very much like kind of almost like a relic of a previous time. Sure. Um and there will be a few of them as we go on. Um, especially the Hammer, um, Hammer Cannon, Tigon, Amicus, like are all they sort of like expand out and become more modern as the decade goes on, but you still do have a lot of the, um, you know, dripping candles and dark hallways and whatever of the. Yeah. All right. Two. I thought I was setting you up for I monster. And then, and then you're like, there's like ten movies that like I could have. I thought about putting on this list. It was um, a lot. It was, yeah. I mean, it, but it I gave me an idea. Is like maybe, um, maybe after we get done this year, we'll do a special episode of some sort 
like like a bonus where it's like what i'd be interested in is you taking you going through the 70s movies and picking your top five movies that didn't make yeah a list and 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 doing that it's funny because uh 75 is the only the only year where i only have the five movies that are on the list hmm. every every other year has at least four or five additional movies and some years have like close to 10 yeah the next year too 70 72 when we get to that that was really difficult to pare down to five movies and i think i picked the best five movies but um there's some really great shit from 72 and 73 um that didn't make the list yeah i like a lot of the 72 stuff so far all right Let's go ahead and get started then. So number five on your list is Black Belly of the Tarantula. It is directed by Paolo Guevara. It is stars Giancarlo Giannini, Claudine Auger. It has no rating from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 51% from audiences. So you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and um, why it has made the list? So one of the earlier um, movies that kind of sets the tone for what giallo movies would become over the 70s um and very directly influenced by um bird with crystal plumage uh this tells the story of a killer who uh, paralyzes his victims um with a venom administered through a needle to their neck before he kills them and this sort of hangdog disillusioned detective who's tasked with catching him but just doesn't really want to be a detective anymore um maybe the worst police investigator in any movie i've ever seen like that's not an outright comedy um just a dude that just doesn't give a shit and doesn't put forth any real effort to like solve any crimes just like that i mean um yeah he's 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 a piece of work yeah so there's a series of murders and at first there doesn't seem to be any connection but then um it becomes apparent that there's this connection to this what is it like a massage parlor slash spa um that all these people work at um so the detective is questioning people there and like every other giallo it's um the majority of other giallos you don't see the killer's face they do a lot to hide the killer in formless clothing so you can't tell if it's a man or a woman which is a really big part of like most of these early 70s um italian slashers not even slashers italian um murder mystery movies um just because they always give you a series of characters that you think might be the killer um and then typically it's the person that you didn't ever think was the killer is the way that they uh (laughs) like they they resolve things um like scooby-doo so yeah. it is a lot like scooby-doo um it was out the head pulling off although sometimes that happens too in a way um so through a series of whatever misadventures um his wife and him get kind of targeted by the killer too and then finally like the end of the movie is him basically saving his wife from the person that was the killer um who he had questioned before and had sort of dismissed um because the guy is blind or was he thought he was blind um and one of the more i don't know 
not hopeless but definitely not positive endings where he just kind of like wanders off and you know that he still doesn't want to be like a detective and you know really kind of ambiguous i guess as to what like he's going to do even though he's like because he can't go in and see his wife because she's still paralyzed and recovering and um so some hilarious stuff in this movie that there's some really good kills in this movie and it especially there's a couple scenes with this is very big with the stalking aspect of the giallo where it's the the lights being turned off for the character being the victim being stuck in a um a situation where you don't know if necessarily anything's going to happen because there is some some false scares that happen but um early on there's an attractive woman who her husband is a suspect because they were estranged and she was um characterized in the movie as an nymphomaniac because she was having sex with other people um and she's stalked through her house and it's really effectively done just in the sound and the use of light and that crazy italian architecture where it's just giant windows and big open spaces and places where like you know things can be hidden in the shadows that's a really awesome scene um it's just really confidently directed my my favorite part of this movie and i told you this the other night um so the detective goes to the spa at one point um to conduct a series of interviews with the people that work there because he's sort of made some very basic connections from evidence that you know hey maybe it's people that are associated with this place that are being targeted so he's bringing a series of people into question them and i swear to god it's like the most lackadaisical ineffective questioning possible including like um it's 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 along the lines of like so you like the color red huh and they're like yeah and he's like yeah it's not you (laughs) and then that's it like that's the whole line of questioning right like the blind guy because he's like oh it's like deep psychology man like (laughs) can't see eh well you're wasting my time and it's the entire time like no actual questions no right um but in a lot of ways like i actually find that refreshing like the idea because typically in giallo movies in a lot of giallo movies the people doing the investigating are not police officers they tend to be you know like in bird with crystal plumage the dude's what a, a painter writer a right. photographer right, right, right. Mm-hmm. like um or it's like a nosy newspaper reporter or sure. just some random person that happened to see something happening and then becomes fixated with like putting themselves in harm's way so when you get an actual detective it's i don't know it's it's it's, it's interesting to see and i seen a lot of giallos but um i like this dude a lot i think that um the actor himself is just kind of plays it with this wide-eyed like idiocy almost and lack of cons- lack of like training really like he's just not good at his job mm-hmm. um and yet at the end um he gets lucky because he finds the blind dude's like contact is like left at the crime scene of what is that she's the woman that ran the spa gets murdered Mm -hmm. and then he realizes like oh my god my wife's probably in trouble and that's when he goes back and saves her um but it's a fun movie uh again like it's a really good example of early giallo done really well um i would put this don't torture a duckling bird with crystal plumage um and then a couple movies from the next year that i didn't put on the list but also i think pretty influential as being 
the sort of movies that kind of created the tone for the rest of the 70s um or those directors sort of set the tone but we have several movies coming up in the next few years that are just amazing giallo movies um it's a difficult genre to recommend to people because you have to you have to be able to suspend your disbelief in a certain way where it's okay to laugh at things because there's going to be ridiculous scenarios that occur um and also that you don't really take the the psychology that they're dishing out because it's like fuck some woman laughed at this guy because he couldn't get a boner and or he didn't perform well in bed right or something mm. like that is is like the rationale and it's like and then he just started killing right like, she was also she was also unfaithful i think too like she was like it's always comes down to like some kind of woman who like you know yeah like it's like cheating and shit like right. that like and but yeah but it's not even just that like they killed the person because that happens all the time it's like well sure. now they're taking out their revenge on every woman it's like well but you know he already killed them like so it's just kind of right like the right yeah the psychology is just all fucked up uh, in the sense of like especially in this one it's like okay so she's unfaithful to him like she laughs at him because he can't get it up yeah it's like that's a that's a crime of passion we we know all this now right it's like that's a crime of passion like that's a very specific thing to that individual like this person is a grown adult that is not going to turn them into like a, right, a raging killer. right psychotic serial killer right um, and it's it, it's yeah. hilarious too because it's like it's not even that he's just killing people it's that what it's it's like the venom of like some wasp or something right right that's where the title of the movie comes from because it's this wasp that like paralyzes tarantulas but Mm -hmm. he uses this venom with this crazy long like metal needle that he has to like perfectly position them to stick it in their neck yeah so then he can just like stab them basically like he could have just stabbed them it's this whole like crazy ritual yeah based on the fact that his his wiener doesn't work and like ultimately well, that's what I leads mean, him to murder maybe, like maybe he's paralyzing them like his 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 penis is paralyzed ah like, see <laughs> you're making you're, you're making it make too much sense now um but it's a really fun movie and i i think that i don't know that i would say that giallo is for everyone but if you find that you watch like some of the better ones um and you enjoy it that like there's a lot of fun to be had like watching these movies and maybe that's actually maybe that that's that's something I would like to do eventually is kind of like the um the lesser lesser known or hmm. lesser rated giallo movies that are just a lot of fun to watch because they're so ridiculous. Um and we can actually talk about those over the course of the next several months because there's a lot in the 70s that fit in that category. Um we'll just maybe talk about them briefly. Uh, like I said, like Night Evelyn came out of the grave is this ridiculous friggin' like 60s throwback psychedelic romp thing with pseudo zombies and one of the most ridiculous performances by a man in a leading role um but definitely worth watching it's like i don't know 80 minutes long yeah it's free several places i think it's on shutter maybe right now or somewhere yeah between this and bird with the crystal plumage i i I, i'm finding that like having not watched a lot of these things before i actually enjoy these giallo movies and i think it's like like you said it's it's very you you have to go into it knowing that 
it's going to be absurd sometimes, you know, but I, I think that with the lack of understanding of criminal psychology that they had at the time, because like what we're still like what uh, seven years away in America before seven or eight years away before what's his name the the real guy that uh, yeah mind hunter guy, um, I think if you go into it like that like um, they're they're pretty fun like they're usually okay mysteries to some degree because that's what they are at their core they're just more graphic a lot of times. Uh, and I didn't think the kills in this, I thought they were good, but like not too grisly. Like it's not like some of like the crazy right. happenstance shit of sometimes that I criticize Argento for. Like, So that's actually a really interesting point and something that bears like conversation is that Giallo are very specific in the sense that it's more about the mystery and the psychology than it is the kill. So there's a very definite point in the late 70s, early 80s, where you kind of stop getting Giallo movies and you just get slasher movies that have a little bit more of like an underlying plot to them, aside from just, you know, Jason Voorhees is going to kill everybody because his mom got killed at some point. Um, and that sort of is partially Argento as he moves like more into being more over the top kind of and graphic in the way that he presents kills um but you know i mean even like fulci makes a pretty understated and um well put together giallo the year before this on don't torture a duckling um so you'll you see the change as the slasher movies become more popular and again, that's Argento, that's Friday the 13th, that's Halloween, you know, kind of like making that change happen where those are the movies people want to see and they don't want to see just some person with like black gloves, like stalking around, you know, like dark houses, sure. killing people. Um, but there's a lot of charm to them, I think. So anyway. Yeah. And I do think this is really well directed. I, I, I think that last shot of his disillusionment when he's walking on the street it feels like something that being outside of a giallo movie from italy feels like it, it is very of the times like a french a shot from the french connection or something like that sure or like chinatown or something yeah you know? sure. like that's um and the only other thing i want to mention is uh the is the eno morricone score Mm, yeah in this and the music is because there's there's a repeated theme that's throughout it it is what you have heard at the beginning of this podcast um which i included with the moans and everything um but it's like this perfect combination of something that's really good and ridiculous at the same time that's probably why i reacted to it so much because it is completely just almost like over the top but perfect at the same time and really just well done like um but yeah it made, it made me laugh but i also like i thought it added to the movie a lot yeah more more County does some pretty pretty impressive horror scores um throughout the 60s and 70s i mean he wasn't you know pretentious he would pretty much do anything yeah but all right. yeah i agree it's 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 a fun score yeah and it definitely adds something to the to the movie yeah um all right 
So let's go ahead and move on. Number four in your list is Let's Scare Jessica to Death. It is directed by John D. Hancock. It stars Zora Lambert, Barden Heyman, and Kevin O'Connor. It has a 36% from critics and a 50% from audiences, um, which I found really interesting because this could potentially be like my favorite movie on the list. But Yeah, it's really good. Um so you want to tell us a little bit about this movie and um, why why it made the top five? So possibly a psychological horror movie, possibly a straight out vampire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you're never really 100% sure like what's happened in the movie, I guess. Um, it follows Jessica, who's recently released from a psychiatric hospital. Um, she's a, along with her husband, like a remnant of the free love peace and love hippie movement of the 60s um they drive in a hearse that has what is it love i think or peace or something Mm -hmm. painted on the side um he was a concert violinist or cellist right he plays the cello Mm -hmm. um but he's given up his position with whatever the philharmonic basis i can't remember i don't know instruments to move with her the cello is the one that stands up and anyway it's the one that stands up and has a you know a bow and anyone so they're moving to the country um to help her kind of recover from this breakdown that she had um she's still psychologically fragile and obsessed with death uh so they're trying to kind of move her away from the city where she can't really cope um it's her husband dalton i think is his name and then his best friend who's just this like nerdy whatever this dude so they've bought this farmhouse um that's in this sleepy town in the northeast the like new england area connecticut i think um and when they get there the first night there's this woman that's already in the house it's kind of like squatting there um and they're gonna kick her out at first but then jessica kind of sees that the friend is attracted to her and she's like oh why don't you stay have dinner with us um, so she ends up staying, and shortly after, Jessica starts to have kind of, I don't know if visions is the right word, or hallucinations, or she's seeing things of these things that might not be there that nobody else sees. So the first is this woman um, who's kind of on, like, the shore, or the the side of, like, the lake where they are, and then they go into town, and all the men in town have bandages on various parts of their body, and people are reacting like pretty hostile not not really hostile but they're not definitely not like open towards them or friendly um she starts to suspect that emily emily's the girl that lives in the one that's in the house Uh starts to suspect that emily might be um the reincarnate or the this vampire that's sort of existed for a long time and she thinks she's seeing the ghost of this woman that lived in the house before and died like the daughter of the family that lived there whatever like 100 years before um as she becomes more unhinged uh, her boyfriend or her husband i guess becomes sort of less sympathetic before and he starts to develop an attraction towards emily um and then there's a point so i would say that probably probably from the point where she's swimming and she somebody grabs her and pulls her under um in the lake onward i don't know if you can necessarily trust what you're seeing because i think sometimes i think that this is just a straight out vampire movie or whatever horror movie and sometimes i think that you're meant to 
take it from Jessica's point of view as an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. Um, But it doesn't really ever come out and hold your hand and say, this is what you're seeing. You kind of just have to watch the movie and make your own assumptions. Um, Because Emily, like people start dying after that, you know, the best friend gets killed. Um, There's a guy who's an antique stealer that Jessica finds his body. And then when she tries to bring her husband back to see it, the body's gone. And she eventually sees him like in town, like alive again. And they all have these cuts on their necks. So that's, she's suspecting Emily of being the vampire. Um, At one point towards the end of the movie, her and the husband are in bed and Emily comes into the room with the townsfolk, the towns, the men of the town behind her. Um, And she escapes and then they kind of chase her down to the lake and she gets on a, what, like a dinghy, I guess. Um, And someone tries to climb into the boat and she ends up hitting them. What is that thing? Like a boat hook maybe or something. And Mm -hmm. it's her, her husband and she kills him and they're all like the Emily and the townsmen are standing on the edge of the lake. I can't think of another word for townsmen, the men of the town. Um, So you never know really if, did she kill these people and she imagined this vampiric presence because one of the central themes is that she's really obsessed with the idea of of death and she does rubbings of gravestones and um that's one of the reasons why she was institutionalized so was she just not cured and she had this psychological trauma and her brain in order to like whatever i guess like relieve stress from her kind of translated it to being these imaginary things is it jealousy of her husband having an affair basically that leads to it is it and then in other ways like is the movie just a criticism of like the failure of the you know the summer of love um the hippies or whatever is it and and, and for seeing the coming like period of turmoil in terms of how people reacted in during the 70s like your boogie nights phase where people just while out and like lose their shit as they're coming out of like this period of hope and you know we know now eventually like end up like Reaganites but I mean, that period is very, I mean, that's the thing that's so fascinating about the 70s is how chaotic it really is after having all of this kind of hope for the future of like times changing and, but going hand in hand with drug use, you know, I mean, I, I wonder if that's not a part of all this too in the background is the drug the 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 heavy drug use of that time period leading to things like institutionalization even yeah um it's in it's a fascinating movie because you don't know but it has all these different things going on in it yeah and it never really gives you a chance to get your bearings on what's actually happening because a lot of times you'll see something from her perspective sort of or, or something will happen where she's the only character involved and then when you come back with other characters it's not the same or circumstances have changed or she can't prove that what she claims that she saw happen so then you're kind of left wondering like did did it actually occur am Mm -hmm. i supposed to think that it was there um 
is she taking these small things that she's seen like bandages like because there's all these old men hanging around um when i guess the general store mm-hmm. slash um, post office or whatever and is she exaggerating these things that she's seen in her mind and making it seem like oh well it's got to be a vampire because she can't handle the truth of the actual situation and again like it never really like tells you 100 percent. this is what you're supposed to think so it's very open-ended and pretty bold for a movie to do that um to leave it up to you to decide like whether what you've seen is real or a complete psychotic break by the main character of the movie and she's really likable too which makes it more makes you more i don't know about really likable she's likable enough yes um where it makes you more inclined to believe that what you're seeing is real um which i find really fascinating yeah even if she's even she's not likable she's sympathetic and it makes you want to trust her more yeah well i mean she's definitely trying at least in the beginning to make an effort to be better and um be a good wife to her husband and he's just kind of a dick a lot of the times Mm -hmm. um and the best friend is kind of a creep i mean that's the thing is like you can definitely see where it's not really meant to give you an easy answer as to like who's the protagonist and who's the antagonist and who you should be rooting for and even you know like who's the villain or what's happening in the movie yeah i don't know i wonder the the original screenplay for this was called it drinks hippie blood did you see that yeah (laughs) that's pretty funny it is um it was more of a it seemed like more uh tongue-in-cheek though like yeah like the script yeah i always so to me just my personal opinion is i always look at it as being um that there was no emily basically that she was the one that was doing these things mm-hmm. um and imagining sort of this romantic rival um because her husband was losing interest in her because she was crazy basically right and because he had to sacrifice his career for her well-being um and the guilt that she felt for that um so i always think that really Sometimes I wonder if even the best friend really exists, honestly. Hmm. Um, yeah, no, I see. I think the best friend exists. Maybe. Yeah, he probably the, the, the husband has a best friend who, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's a lot more horrifying if you think of it as being her being the one that's like committed these murders and is justifying in her sure. mind by... Um, you know creating this vampiric sexual nemesis mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through some pictures that she saw in the attic and you know her own imagination so sure. and her fixation with the idea of death and murder um but it's just a really great movie very atmospheric it's really well filmed um it takes place in just some small a small setting really just on this farm mostly and then a little bit inside the town but um, the way it's filmed has, you know, this very like hazy, overexposed atmosphere to it, so it feels really dreamlike all the time, um, and it's just really good, really entertaining. Yeah, um, it was it was a movie I saw when I was young, and I couldn't remember the title for years, and I just had like half memories of things happening in it, and for a while I thought that I imagined it, and then um, 
I guess around 2003, 2004, it got re-released on DVD and I discovered it again and was so excited to find out that I wasn't crazy, basically. Um, but yeah, definitely worth watching. Yeah, I, I don't have much to add to any of that. Like, you covered pretty much everything. I, I think the thing that really drew me in, probably made it my favorite on this list to, like, actually just sit down and watch is, is the open-ended nature of it, that it's a really slow burn taught movie that keeps you wondering and guessing it has a lot of great subtext to it that leaves you like thinking about the movie not only as a film and what's what actually is happening but also as a relic of a time period and i so yeah i i just thought it was the most kind of complete movie out of out of you know out of a lot of the movies that i've watched so far i watched it last year because you told me to watch it um and then um i watched it again just a few weeks ago and yeah i i i enjoyed it just as much the second time i thought it was good to see it again and like get a repeated viewing just to kind of like focus on some of those things you're talking about like of like what's going on exactly but i also was able to focus more on the subtext of it in terms of the way genders treated um in regards to mental illness in terms of the counterculture you know kind of critiques potentially um and all that kind of stuff so yeah i thought it was a really fascinating movie uh to to rewatch even again a year later yeah and um yeah definitely one of the fa- having watched a lot of something too definitely one of my favorite movies out of all of these personally yeah it's funny because like the way that he directs it it's possible that the husband doesn't see anything because it doesn't exist mm-hmm. or the husband doesn't see anything because he's under the glamour of this vampire, you know? And right. it's like, yep. it's just so brilliant the way that they, that, that stuff is filmed where like you never can tell which one is which. So yeah, no, it's really well done. Um, the only reason this is number four is because it's just really difficult for me to order these lists sometimes, especially when I'm, I really like all five movies mm-hmm. on it, so. Sure. Oh, I mean, yeah, all five of these movies are good. I mean, if not great, so I get it. Um, but this always suits my taste. It's like, you know, I love things that are, and they could be wrong sometimes. I largely love things that are open-ended that allow you to, like, you know, guess as you're walking away a lot of times and don't just, like, hand you everything. I like movies to have strong subtext and analytical possibilities with it like so i mean this is this is just something that's you know personally is like up my alley so um, which i do think you find more of in the 70s i would say than you do in the 80s a lot of times <laughs> so that is one thing i like about the 70s more than the, even though like i was like reluctant going this i think you find that more in the 70s than the 80s um where there's a lot more subtle thoughtfulness um to the subject of things i mean there's a lot more i think experimentation inherent in movies in the 70s we don't don't, know again another one of the reasons why i love those movies because i feel like directors take chances and you find stuff that's a lot more challenging in terms of whereas in again in the 80s it's a lot just more about like the bombast and the you know the -the over-the-top elements and even movies that are kind of experimental or in indie quote unquote in the 80s will have um 
those elements to them. Like you mentioned society. I mean, society still is, <laughs> you know, pretty over the top. Well, even even the, sub, even the subtext of society is in your face. It's not subtle whatsoever. Um, like, it, it's if, if you can't figure out, like, what it's saying, then you're a fool. Um, so even that aspect of things, like the subtle stuff is uh not very subtle yeah yeah definitely that's true all right so then this is a weird person to have on this list so number three on your list is steven spielberg's duel uh, it stars dennis weaver as the primary character it has an 88 percent from critics and 84 percent from audiences want to tell us a little bit about this movie and um how steven spielberg is on a 70s horror list right uh so one of the more I think bold filmmaking efforts of the seventies, just in terms of the subject matter and the way that it's filmed. Um, it's a really simple story. It's a kind of a weak, meek, weak-willed dude um, who you find out through the course of dialogue in the movie isn't very aggressive. Doesn't really stand up for like his wife or whatever um he has to take a trip through the desert to meet with a client for his work um so the story is him driving from his home to this meeting and running afoul along the way of a um mostly unseen truck driver in a large dirty um i guess fuel semi like it's a fuel truck um but it's rusty and it's old and um hyped up diesel power and what's his what's what's the protagonist's name george or something like that um the dennis weaver sorry it's david yeah david uh cuts this truck off a couple of times because he's impatient and then the truck starts to basically chase him across the desert through a series of escalating scenarios um that ultimately leads to him really kind of finding a measure of like courage and sort of tricking the truck into you know plummeting to its death i guess but there's not really a lot to talk about in terms of the plot because the plot is mostly just like one man in a small vehicle against a man in a large vehicle and his internal struggles because there's a lot of a uh, voiceover narration um which maybe my I, I don't know if i would say my least favorite part of the movie but it's a it's kind of a hokey way to introduce the narrative, although I don't know how she would have done it because he's not talking to anybody else, but just sort of his own internal struggles and self-doubt and sort of overcoming that stuff. Um, brilliantly filmed in terms of vehicle to vehicle and <clears throat> if it feels dangerous, like it mm -hmm. feels like the stunts are, like there's actual peril in this movie. Um and probably one of the more effective takes on horror, just in the sense that it's 100% something that you feel like could happen to you. You know, if you spend any time on the roadways of America, just um, with road rage and whatever, like the feeling that this isn't some killer or some supernatural entity. It's just a dude that got pissed off and decided he was going to take it out on the guy he was pissed off at. Um, right. So... Yeah, I don't know. It's a really good performance by Weaver. Um, Spielberg does a pretty amazing job of 
escalating the tension and then bringing the tension back down several times in the movie where weaver hopes that he's escaped this truck driver only to have him pop back up um and then ultimately again like basically resort to murder like it's not even just him fucking with him on the road like he's genuinely trying to kill this man um and him having to come to terms with the fact that if he doesn't stand up for himself and do something that the guy's not going to stop like he can't just so there's an interesting scene maybe 20 minutes into the movie um after the truck driver's kind of fucked with him a little bit and he stops at this roadside cafe and he calls his wife or it's a not a cafe it's a gas station Hmm. um and he goes inside to call his wife and she basically through dialogue you find out that they had fought the night before and the reason they had fought was because um one of his co-workers she calls her practically raped her at this party and he didn't do anything he's just kind of like oh that's just so and so being so and so you know i mean no harm was done and she's obviously really offended and hurt by it um and it's a, i i thought it was a brilliant way to introduce the idea that this is this is a man that doesn't stand up for himself and doesn't have the self-confidence or whatever the um self-respect to say no or, or to tell someone that what they're doing is wrong he's kind of almost he's gotten bullied into going on this business trip which is a ridiculous like long drive across the desert um, by his boss like he's forced into it and watching him kind of gain that confidence throughout the course of the movie is is, it's it's pretty fascinating to the point where after he's you know murdered another person um not directly but you know through i guess guile um he's just sitting there tossing rocks off the side of a cliff like down at the corpse of the the guy that he just killed basically um nonchalant like nonplussed i guess but yeah i don't know it's 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 an amazing movie to look at it captures the rusty dirty feel of the desert um it definitely makes you feel isolated and there's a lot of great tension um again spielberg will bring the tension up and then pull it back down and then bring it up again um it's really it it shows i guess like a sneak preview almost of what a what a masterful director that guy is in terms of action scenes and just understanding the power of the human drama of a situation as opposed to trying to manufacture drama through um special effects or whatever you know i mean it's just two men vying against each other a lot of influence comes out of this movie too i think um i think one of the movies that really i mean there's some ridiculous shit like maximum overdrive but you look at stuff like even like high tension um mm-hmm. from the early 2000s uh, with the the look of the vehicle and kind of the facelessness of the character um that's another brilliant thing too is that this man's an antagonist that you see him in the movie but you're never even sure i mean unless you go back through imdb and look up who the actor is you're never even sure who you're seeing that the villain like it could be anybody and that's the again i think one of the best things about this film is that idea that um you know this is something that can happen this is anyone could run afoul of someone on a bad day and they could you know basically try and murder him so yeah sure yeah i love duel no it's it's 
it's a really um it's still a really solid watch i haven't seen this since i was a teenager but i really enjoyed it i thought it i was really taken on taken aback by how good spielberg is this early in terms of creating tension and i think dennis weaver who is a guy that would show up on repeats of shit when i was a kid at my grandparents house watching shit in the middle of the day like old gun smoke episodes or something like that and like i don't really know much about dennis weaver dude's like perfectly cast and i think like nails like most of what he's supposed to do here with minimal dialogue overall and i agree i'm not a fan of the voiceover as a concept like voiceover only works in very specific circumstances to me um this one not quite as much but I think his acting performance is really solid throughout. I think he feel, really feels like that everyman and certainly the beleaguered everyman that you kind of mentioned. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a good movie. I think it shows Spielberg, like, why he had such a future to him. Yeah. yeah. And it's, like, most of the movies on this list, nice and short. You know, it's very... Sure. It goes along at a very brisk pace. And um, Here, Here's a question I had for you. That, do you think that george miller at times is like watch this movie and got inspired oh yeah yeah um i definitely think that in terms of the way that the the scenes are filmed um i mean it's it's very convincing like car to car chase scenes and stuff and some of the best vehicular filming i think in my opinion um the dude that plays the the crazy truck driver um is in a bunch of movies where he he's he's a stuntman where he does that kind of driving like um vanishing point i think he's in in bullet maybe Hmm. um he does driving for and i think miller was definitely the dusty look of the you know the setting Mm -hmm. um the look of the truck itself in terms of uh you know the the dirt the grime the um almost like ramshackle nature of the vehicle kind of so yeah damn he was only 25 when he made this Hmm. there you go on the cloud easter egg all right <clears throat> do you ever watch mcleod on repeats when you're a kid McLeod? no yeah oh, okay do you, do you know what i know about mcleod what's that it's a joke on a mystery science theater 3000 mm-hmm. episode gotcha mcleod i mcleod right i um was there was there mcleod jokes in the simpsons at all maybe i don't know Yeah, I used to see McLeod sometimes when I was a kid. That was his catch line. There you go. Good, good, good catch line. All right, number two on your list is The Blood on Satan's Claw. It is directed by Pierre's Haggard. It stars Patrick Weimark, Linda Hayden, Barry Andrews, and Michelle Dotris has a 73% from critics on Around Tomatoes, a 58% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and uh, why it's on the list? Um, 
So the most, I don't know, traditional horror movie, maybe, even though I wouldn't even say that that's necessarily true. Um, a head is dug up in a field that's got an eye and it's definitely like this monstrous visage. Um, then it's gone when the guy that dug it up goes to get the local like magistrate. Um, this it's a town in, I don't know, like, I don't know what era of Britain that is. Um, Pre-Victorian, maybe, uh, oh, Britain. Yeah. Definitely. Um, 1600s, I guess, whatever that is. Uh, 18th century, so 1700s. Oh. So there's a group of kids that live in this town that have all started to act weird and kind of follow the lead of this girl, Angel who's this, um, she's the daughter of, is he the magistrate? She's the daughter of somebody important in the town. Judge, yeah. Yeah, the judge, right. And kind of leading the kids into doing, like, playing these weird games and stuff. Um, at the same time, there's these happenstances that occur where uh, the fiancé of this one dude um, is sort of sent away to be institutionalized, and she's got, like, a weird, crazy like demon claw thing going on and it looks like people are starting to get possessed um so they eventually track it to these kids are growing hair on parts of their bodies that are like the parts of fuck what's the demon's name behemoth i think or something right is what they call the the devil demon in this movie yes and the young girl angel is trying to sort of like uh scalp these parts off of these kids in order to bring this demon back into the world and at first like she can kind of get away with anything because she's young and innocent and nobody thinks that she's capable of anything there's a scene where she tries to seduce uh what is he like the pastor i guess like the local clergyman um and then when he tries to bring her like he sees through her ruse i guess and sort of realizes that she's evil and she basically claims that he molested her and Mm -hmm. um ultimately fuck what he's like a priest i guess that had gone to seek help comes back and um ends up thwarting the demon um and saving the day it's it's very gothic in its approach in terms of its ruins and like the little i don't know archaic villages that you hate um people in dimly lit like candlelit rooms and i love the it's one of the first movies where it's an actual like they talk about the possession and the devil worship aspect of like what's happening to these people um and it's kind of falls in line in terms of folk horror with things like witchfinder general and uh, the wicker man in terms of this isolated place that has this cult that's kind of um I don't know if you call it through grassroots efforts or whatever, kind of grown up around it uh, under the worship of this evil entity. Um, 
and it's interesting that it's done through children because that at the time there wasn't a lot of movies that used children as the antagonists mm-hmm. um and especially showed so there's uh, several scenes of child murder in this movie um there's a really uncomfortable scene where a young girl gets raped and murdered um in order to like i guess cultivate her for the um it sounds so ridiculous to say the patch of hair but i mean that's what the whatever the the devices in the movie that they pull mm-hmm. like in order to recreate this this creature it's much more effective when you see it in the context of the movie than if i say like the patch of hair because it just right. sounds right yeah. ludicrous to say um but yeah it's it's got a really i love the atmosphere of the movie because i like the idea of the isolated village and the almost like unimaginable villains being these children um i love the look of the movie um i think it's got for the practical effects of the time i think it does a really good job and the way that it shows like little hints of things like when you first see that the head in the ground with the eyeball staring up at you in the beginning of the movie um, it's brief and they don't really dwell on it, but it's super effective. And I love things like that. Um, and I love the folklore aspect of it. Like it's not just a cutting, cut and dried or cookie cutter. Um, what would happen later, which would be more like religious possession and um, outright Satanism. Um, and we'll talk about a couple of movies later in the year, in the decade that sort of deal with that. This is more almost like the witch to me where it's Hmm. this idea of this small like folklore of this area that may or may not be true but the way that they kind of present it it feels like it could be real but it's not something that you see in every movie so it's got a um i don't know got a really good feel to it um yeah yeah i this is I think this looks and feels a lot fresher than when you reference like the same villages that I dislike and like the way it's like filmed and stuff. This feels very to me of the time period in terms of the way it's directed and um and even like the film stock. Like it's there's just something fresh about this compared to a lot of those things that I'm not a big fan of. And there's a brightness to it. There's like a color palette that like isn't in some of those other movies that draws the eye in. And yeah, it actually, I think, goes in. It's it's not as melodramatic to me either. And I think this is, I think this was a really solid movie. I think there's some really memorable scenes in this movie. Like, like the ritualistic, um, um, like rape and murder of that one girl is one of the more like gross and intense things that I've seen in a lot of the movies like that we've talked about in these two years so far like it's it's not a comfortable scene but it's a really well done and effective scene um yeah there's something about this it just kind of happens in pins we talked about pin um however long ago that was yeah um and some other movies there's like oh shit 
there's some killer child movies um who can kill a child and a five from hell i think is what it's called or um anyway where they use children's games to lead into actual like death and it's kind of like the the sing-songy nature of like the rhymes that they have and it's like the idea that they're playing within the playing turns into something violent like that's always um always really fascinating to me and i think it's when it's done right it's a really effective um really effective tool in a horror movie yeah um yeah i don't i I don't i don't think i have a lot to say with this i enjoyed it like it it even though it the subject matter is something that like i'm just kind of blah on um i thought it had like i said i i think it was a bit more cerebral because it focused on like this kind of like overwhelming sense of the town's kids being influenced in some ways and it's like it's the horror that humans do to one another as opposed to any kind of like one person be i thought it was interesting that it wasn't one person like i thought that was like interesting and that that is that it's an influence and it's not necessarily possession and it's just a clear narrative it's you know it's well paced it has good scenes to it it's really well directed i it's just a really solid movie i think overall um yeah i really enjoy it yeah i do too um yeah as a pairing piece to go along with (laughs) this um it's like if, if blood and satan's claw like kind of like just pushes like those things that i talk about like the the persecution witch devil drama like you know a little bit further into like the the modern time holy shit what does this movie do like uh the number one movie you have on here is ken russell's the devils it stars oliver reed vanessa redgrave dudley sudden max adrian Gemma jones it has a 67 percent from critics and an 88 percent from audiences you want to tell us a little bit about this one and um why it's number one on the list i wonder if the critic score is so low because most of those are probably contemporaneous reviews since it's been so difficult to watch over the past you know 40 plus years i I, it's seems to be the case yeah Yeah. so based on actual events that happened in um shit what's the name of the town war fuck i'm gonna fuck it up i hate french words (laughs) yeah you don't you don't ask me about those kind of things right i'm terrible Uh, oh lou Loudun, 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 France. Sure. Um, during the 17th century, where the Catholic Church was trying to exert its influence more over um, the local, I guess, like parochial um, towns and settlements that existed in France. So the town of Loudun is um, run by uh, the Oliver Reed character who's more of like a worldly um not super um, traditional priest i guess so he has sexual relations with a woman that lives in the town but he's very devoted to the idea of like keeping the town safe and independent 
Um, and Richelieu wants to knock down these, um, I guess, like, I don't know what you call them, like city towns or castle towns or whatever that have walls and fortifications and wants to open them up so that they have control over them. Um, Vanessa Redgrave plays Sister Marie, is that right? Is that uh, her name? Jean? Sister, yeah, Jean, 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 yeah, Jean d'Agnes or whatever. Um, this hunchbacked, uh, sexually repressed nun that's obsessed with uh, Oliver Reed's character. Um, she finds out that Reed is secretly married to Marianne. That's what I was thinking of. That's, mm. I think that's his wife's name. Um, and basically uses that knowledge to sort of create a a witch devil possession hysteria that he's a satanist and is using the power of satan to influence people in the town because he won't have sex with her really i mean so the general thrust of the film is his his faith and his association with god and then the opposite of that where this woman who's held up to being this like high standard of being a woman of god is using that is a ruse to kind of get what she wants or at least like destroy um destroy this man that rejected her and the catholic church the french catholic church i suppose using that um to their own advantage to kind of like lessen this man's hold on this town and take it back over where um they can open it up and they can be in charge of um of it so this movie is not easy to find to watch because of the mostly because of the graphic sexual nature of the things that happen in it um it's got some pretty pretty shocking sacrilegious imagery i guess but so this is my defense of the devils in that respect i guess the people that are conducting well, real quick can you just explain to them like a scene or two of like why this is so condemned like from so this really happened in this town during this time so these women these nuns would come to gather in i guess like this area this courtyard and would perform acts of like depravity and that was them being possessed by the devil. That was the evidence that they were possessed. So there's a scene in the movie where they lower, um, what do you call the crucifix of Christ? Uh, anyway, they lower the Christ statue down and proceed to basically have like really violent sex with it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a scene towards the end of the movie where uh, Vanessa Redgrave masturbates herself with uh the shin bone of the femur i guess yes of a dead man um it's just it's very graphic depictions of women that are purported you know that are playing the role of holy women doing some like incredibly sexually graphic things to religious iconography iconography and each other um but it really happened like that's what right. they would do when they were trying to you know like they would just come out and go crazy in the you know this 
and people would come and watch like it was something where the you know people like bystanders would gather every day and all the while um fuck i gotta look his name what's his fucking name the oliver reed character um urbane grandier this guy that was you know an actual like cared about the people in the town was trying to do the best had was going to see king louis right that's who it is Mm -hmm. um to plead his case that they should be left independent and all the while like he's being undermined and basically you know that's that's that part is his even though he's broken the law of the catholic church by taking a wife and engaging in carnal activity he has the best interest of the people and he's really the most um pious i guess i don't know i always have negative connotations to pious he's always he's he's the most holy and religious person in the movie um there's actually a really amazing scene i'm trying to think what it's juxtaposed against where he's sort of kind of losing his faith and he stops at like this roadside like shrine almost um where he basically takes communion and has a moment where he's reconnecting with god and it's just really like um powerful and um i don't know moving scene juxtaposed against the idea of these women like you know who are all in love with him like he's very handsome oliver reed's a really handsome dude but they show that early where like when he walks through the city like these um these noviates these initiates are clamoring up to try and see him out the window and are fantasizing about him and um she's trying to do the right thing and so when he eventually comes back um and he's taken into custody because he's accused of you know consorting with the devil um and they shave him down and he refuses to confess and they're threatening to burn him at the stake and he refuses to confess and then they tell him if you confess we'll make it quick and he still refuses and ultimately i suppose in real life and in the movie um is able to sort of prove his innocence even though he still dies in the end um and she never gets what she wants because she doesn't get a like you know she basically has to settle for a literal part of him right at the end of the movie instead of you know what she wanted which was to for him to acknowledge her and him to love her and she's really you know in a lot of ways the the devil of the movie that she's using her position and the fears of the time to ruin this man just because she couldn't get what she wanted so um when a movie was released people took it as being like a really harsh condemnation of the catholic church and of religion in general and you know i mean obviously you're seeing scenes of women masturbating themselves with like statues of christ and right um i i can see like why that would feel like super sacrilegious because i guess it is but it's not ken russell's intent like ken russell's dealing with ideas of like personal identity and um you know the individual versus society and like i mean it's very much influenced by an Aldous huxley um I guess novella maybe called the devils of something devils of ludon or something like that right um you know and huxley was i mean there's some criticism of the church here just because i think anytime you involve the catholic church from the 17th century you're gonna inevitably have some criticism 
inherent just because you know people were using their positions in the church to um, cultivate personal power and basically do what they wanted but Oliver Reed is is a stand-up dude in this movie and right like that character I think is the true representation of like a man of the cloth um just brought low by people who you know have their own self-interest at heart so but it's beautifully filmed Mm -hmm. um I don't know you and I watched this on I watched it on archive.org yeah that's it archive.org I watched it um for a long time shutter had it up in its uncut version the 109 minute version mm. in like the mid 2010s like 16 17 i think mm-hmm. and criterion had it for a while um on the criterion channel and through filmstruck but it got pulled down and it's almost impossible to find um i looked a lot for a dvd copy of this just to have it um and it's really difficult to find anything in this country um because people are still so puritanical that they can't like separate right um you know a movie from like their own personal belief i I don't yeah yeah and it's funny because we just talked a few days ago on the spin chagrin about my inability to watch movies that are um you know like the torture porn kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but mostly because they're just there to be disgusting for their the sake of being disgusting whereas ken russell is saying a lot of things in this movie and you've got really incredible performances especially by reed and um, redgrave and it's beautifully filmed you you look at the sets like they constructed the architecture of of these buildings like they created these sets and made the walls and the minarets and this really striking um you know the pristine white of uh, ludon that they created in this is just it's, it's amazing to see um so the scene towards the end where they're using the explosives to blow down the walls because that's ultimately um i can't remember what's what's that the villain's name I can't remember what that actor's name is, but when they're blowing down the walls, like they have this these amazing sets and they just destroy them. So I I don't know. It's it's really visually impressive to watch. Um it's got a really interesting aesthetic where Russell was kind of melding more modern architectural ideas into this 17th century style. Um so like the confession room or whatever looks like I mean, to me, it looks like a bathroom at like a rest stop, kind of like oh. the tile and stuff. You mean the like walls. the white, the white walls with the black yeah. um, trim, like in the brick, yep. like fake brick or whatever? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Amazing. and it's just yeah, it's visually stunning. Um, again, I I'm a really big Oliver Reed mark, so uh, take that with a grain of salt. But I think it's it's Oliver Reed's best performance ever. Um, I love that man in this movie. Um, I think Redgrave skirts a fine line and does it really well between being a character you can have a measure of empathy for and also just being like a lunatic villain really and she's never like a cartoon and she's never um 
I don't know. Like it's 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 a really it's a really nuanced performance and character. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you would ever watch this movie aside from watching it on whatever archive for free on archive.org. I mean, it's a yeah. good copy of it overall. I mean, um, it's probably not the most pristine, but it's it's certainly good. I didn't have no. Any it's problems. it's 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 probably as good as you're ever gonna get. I think really okay. Yeah, right. good. I mean, I just don't understand how, like you said, it's people's own beliefs, I think, like influencing their their viewing of this movie. It has to be like there are like any kind of like religious beliefs because this movie's not about religion. Like that's the only thing like I, I was so because I watched it and I was like, OK, this is going to be some shit when I start like reading into this. Like I knew it like what? 30 minutes into the movie i was like jesus okay um this is the first time i've been shocked isn't the right word surprised in a while watching a movie because i was not expecting this in 1971 like at all and then of course when i started reading into it and like how it's still you know hard to come by like you know warner brothers like still has issues like with like giving it like any kind of like kind of full release or anything like that um like but i i don't get it like this is a yes of course the catholic church is being criticized and like you said like you know anytime you deal with this time period they're going to be criticized anytime you deal right now they're going to be criticized um i mean we're what five years removed from them releasing all the files about the molestations that took place i mean like they're always going to be criticized but this movie is a this movie is more important and i watched this a month ago this movie is more important like right now like in the world than like given the events of the past few days then like it's like it's still important because it's about the state <laughs> it's a it, right. you know i mean it, it's a it's about what how oh, i'm trying to think of what he says like you know you seduce the, the people in order to destroy them i think he shouts out at one point like I, th- this is a political commentary it's not a religious commentary like whatsoever right. Agreed. and it's a psychological commentary on the idea of hysteria and you know those kind of things like this is not about religion whatsoever and yes does it use like disturbing imagery related to religion but that's just the time period based on a true story that's been dramatized like yeah i don't know i i'll never be able to understand and maybe that's just me and it's look i'm not religious like but it's like i don't know but i can watch things that go against my own politics and still be objective enough to kind of distance myself and like still view something as a movie and maybe that's politics and religion isn't a perfect equivalency but i just don't get like the uproar over this like if you're actually watching it and like trying to like understand what it means like it has it has very little to actually do with the religion itself like the meaning of it and that's what i was like 
taken aback by is that this is 1971 and this is 51 years later and this is still a thing like it makes no sense to me whatsoever there's been worse like kevin kevin smith with jesus christ i think probably like did worse and it got a theatrical release (laughs) he did he took just as many shots like and probably worse shots at the catholic church spotlight movie i hate like exposed more about the catholic church than this movie did like it's just the imagery that they're upset by not like the actual like critique of the church whatsoever right i mean you watch some shit like um like the pit and the pendulum that we talked about last year in the 90s are Mm -hmm. like that's just as critical of you know sure yes the church and people using their religious authority you know to get what they want sexually and whatever yes monetarily from people yes but i think it's more more specific to the church in terms of like the the flagellation the self-punishment and like i even more particular i think than this movie is yeah but there's a visceral element i think to the way that russell films this movie that doesn't let you rest on the idea that you're watching something that's a fiction does that make sense and i think because it's hold on say it again for me real quick (laughs) there's a really visceral nature to the way that ken russell films this movie yes um especially with the the lingering on things that maybe goes on for a little bit too long where i mean russell's trying to force you to acknowledge certain things through his use of imagery and by Mm -hmm. being shocking so that your senses are so raw when you're watching this movie that you're kind of forced to open up and you know look beyond just what you're seeing Mm -hmm. in terms of like shocking imagery and i mean it's an artistic choice and it's a really bold one but and i don't know if you know this but the producers actually like the people wanted him to cut some of those things that you're talking about and not cut trim trim so he yeah you're right he's purposely doing it i mean that makes sense so because it's not being done to titillate you you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. no matter what when you watch something like and again i'm not trying to compare these movies but there's a lot of similarities between like the pit and the pendulum and, and the devils when you watch that movie even though i think it's really well done i think Stuart gordon does a really good job with that movie there still is an element of pure entertainment in what you're watching like you're never in a position where it's forcing you to really think about anything but and it's a good performance but it's it's a cartoon character you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um like you bring up like like dogma is you know you bring up that's those are cartoon characters Mm -hmm. those are things where you can say okay well is it a little sacrilegious or blasphemous sure but it's not done to really evoke emotion from you or genuine criticism of something it's just done to entertain you like Russell is not making a movie that's meant to be like a trifle or whatever, like an entertainment that you watch for an afternoon. Like it's meant to stick with you. And I mean, it does cause it's super effective, but I think that's part of the problem is I think the people don't look at it as just being dismissible. I think they look at it as like a really potent attack on some things that are inherent in 
you know both bureaucracy and religion and maybe those two like they overlap each other right but like i think that's the problem is that it feels like a dangerous movie and when when people feel the movies are dangerous like they try really hard to censor them or to make it so you can't see them um and i think that's that this is one of those movies yeah yeah and crazy that for being as amazing of a movie as it is it's so difficult to see yeah but you know it's warner brothers like warner brothers is trying to market you on porky pig well fucking hbo max right like they want you to watch (laughs) their streaming services they want you to watch dune and kimmy and whatever the fuck that movie's called and peacemaker or whatever and king richard right they want you to be entertained and they want you to spend money to be entertained the rhino Ren- the rhino reynolds game or ready, game. ready player one ready nah, oh, no <laughs> oh no 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 um <laughs> i understand why you thought that but yeah no new new guy right or something, something like, like yeah, a new extra pl- guy <laughs> enter enter player one i who knows i don't know like but whatever the fucking the ryan reynolds yeah. virtual game shit is and it's like so i got a I'm that's my movie of the week. I'm supposed to watch him act like an asshole, like in a virtual video game environment as an NPC that whatever. Like, right, go watch this movie. <laughs> but anyway, this movie's amazing. Yes. Um, it's in a more I don't know, in a less puritanical world, this movie would be I think lauded as a classic of modern cinema and would be taught everywhere. Um, but unfortunately, until we become less puritanical, which may not ever happen now that the world's going to end in the next six months. Um, yeah. Just watch it where you can. If you, if you love film and you're able to kind of sublimate your own personal like ego in terms of your religious beliefs a little bit, and be open-minded in watching this movie then it's definitely worth watching sure and it'll challenge you and it'll make you uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. there'll be times where you say maybe it's a little too much and personally i think it's the torture shit that might be a little too much more than like the sexual like the orgies and stuff right like it's 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 the destruction of oliver reed as a um fuck i can't remember i hate french names no offense to anyone that's french we don't have any French listeners, really. It's fine. Grand, Grand, Grandier, uh, Father Grandier. It's the destruction of him. There, it's their attempted destruction of him as a man. I think that's more uncomfortable to watch in terms of the torture than it is like watching some naked women writhe on, you know, a plaster statue or something. So whatever. Right. But yeah, no, uh, agreed. It, 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 yes it's 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 how the trait it's how the state treats dissidents and invokes mass hysteria usually through a combination of religion and sexual repression (laughs) to turn against those people that are trying to speak truths yeah um but anyway one of the one of the greatest movies that'll ever be on a top x or top five horror movies of x year or whatever um and really maybe the most horrific movie out of any of these on the list just for a number of reasons sure no i agree um yeah really taken aback by this movie i one thing i want to ask you very specific about this movie and because you brought it up the the white 
bathroom like mm-hmm. stuff when i saw that it was like oh. you know i i know kubrick would have seen this movie yeah the bathroom scene in the shining is the first thing i thought of when i like saw mm-hmm. it is like i wonder if kubrick Like it's was possible somehow unconsciously like inspired like by that because I mean it has the color to it obviously but like that 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 the whiteness you know of because you're right it's it's a very apt description it's like a bathroom like a modern bathroom like or something like that or like a bathroom from that time period it's 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 so it feels so out of place for the 1700s. Well, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and yeah, that, that was yeah. definitely part of Russell's intention in terms of the set design of this movie, which was to kind of challenge—I don't know—kind of challenge like your 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 preconceived notions of everything, and especially in terms of. So it's really good to kind of juxtapose this against something like um, Blood on Satan's Claw. Mm-hmm. which is definitely set very firmly in terms of its set design and its costuming in you know that era and right. then this right has these elements where they're very much more modern in terms of the architecture and um just the basic look of like the set design and again i think that's meant to make you uncomfortable because you're not you can't just say like, okay well i'm watching like something from the past or whatever but um it feels more modern like and i think that makes it more like difficult to really yeah i don't know like it makes it more difficult for you to dismiss it as just being a period piece or being mm-hmm. whatever um yeah yeah i don't know so last thing i want to say about this is you know who gives no fucks whatsoever is the is the national board of review because those motherfucker gave gave this guy best director in 1971 yeah like but they're right right look they also gave it it they listed two movies it's a musical that he did called the boyfriend and this and they gave him best director for both of those movies yeah so i think they created plausible deniability for themselves a little bit um probably by like kind of like listing both of the movies that came out for him that year i've never seen the boyfriend but it's a musical comedy i mean so um which i read enough into him to know that like he's kind of like one all over the place with like his genres but man like the contemporary reviews of this are pretty brutal oh yeah pretty brutal like just in terms of like the filmmaking aspect of it like you know or criticizing the morality of it or criticizing the acting of it like it is just like all over the place like very few people like kale can be like that they're all like just like trashing this movie so i thought it was fascinating that like the the this this the the national board of review is just like just like fuck all of you we're giving this guy best director um for the boyfriend too but also for the devils like um it's 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 pretty ballsy i think 
to do that. Um, I just thought it was ballsy enough to point out that some groups yeah. would actually do that. <clears throat> um, you legitimately, at, like you look at their top directors, it's actually a really good list. <laughs> Number of movies that we've actually talked about. So. The problem is, is that they want to. Everyone wants to fit. So I hate this man, but I watched um, Mark Kermode's uh, documentary on the Devils. Mm-hmm. Um, let me tell you that Mark Kermode just mm-hmm. hypes himself up the entire time and talks about how he did all these things. And mm-hmm. but he did find that footage, right? Like the, the yeah, yeah, footage. yeah. But fuck yeah. that. Like, still be humble, man. You know, come on. right, like, right. fucking Kermode. Right. Um, but one of the more interesting things about the documentary is. There's an interview with um, this priest who was on the original review board that screened this movie in the United States and was responsible for, like, basically suggesting cuts. And he sort of said, like, don't cut anything, you know, like, you should be able to tell this is a movie. And if you cut things out of it, it loses its power. And I think that's true. Mm -hmm. And it's just like. I mean, we live in this world and it's been true for the entirety of my life i think where if you're truly religious you should feel that your religion can stand up to anything right like isn't that kind of the point of religion that it's the thing that gets you through life and it's the thing that moves you to the afterlife so if your fear is that some movie is going to shake your religion like to its foundations or whatever then that's on you like you have no faith in your faith basically at that point like you shouldn't think that like some fucking film can destroy is all of a sudden going to like ruin people's perception of christianity or, or any religion or whatever i mean it's ridiculous it's like the fucking taliban bombing that um that french newspaper you know for like putting a cartoon in like go fuck yourself man like if if you think that a cartoon of your prophet is going to somehow cause irreparable damage to your religion, then you got no faith in your religion at all. And you're a fucking asshole. So the fact that like we live in a culture where people are so afraid of somebody might, what, what fucking like masturbate to these naked women on Jesus Christ. And that somehow is going to like cause the end of the world. Like it's so dumb. I hate fucking censorship. And like, I don't even agree that like, you know, like watching that fucking Atroz movie or fucking Serbian film. Like, I think those films are disgusting, but they should still be, you know, there's no reason they can't be made. Right. Like, they're not actually like fucking yeah. raping children or raping trans women or whatever in these movies. It's fake. And just because I don't like it doesn't mean that it's like ruining society or it's going to somehow destroy me to watch it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we just need to get past the point where as long as politics exists you're never going to get past the point where people don't try to use art to somehow justify their own fucking terrible actions like the like being anti-art or that art somehow corrupts people you know but but we're never going to get past that point you're never going to see the devils on dvd i guess is my my end result so maybe when the world ends in six months like you know we can build it back up through some like underground DVD company and we'll release the devils. I'm just, I'm just going to 
I'm I'm not gonna say anything to all that. Like man, that that's, that's I'm gonna let you handle all that because I agree with it. Um, the only thing I'll add on is that like Finland, who still has this movie banned, um, I'm pretty sure they're one of the countries that like is on the list if they join NATO. Like, um, bad things are gonna happen. So, see what they do. Um. I'll just never get it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I, I won't either. But, and and you are you're much at least more spiritual slash religious than I ever was. Sure. Like, you know, so I'm just going to let you deal with that because I don't have a dime in the mess, like, a lot of times. But um, in terms of the religious aspect of it, um, in terms of the other aspects, I agree with you 100% about censorship, so... Um, like, shouldn't you want to be challenged, right? Like, how do you build something to be stronger unless you... Seems like you're pretty weak if you're not challenged. Right, try to break it down first. Sure. Like, it's the basic sure. principle of, like, bodybuilding, right? Like, you got to, like, destroy the muscles so that they re-knit stronger. Like, it's the same thing with any, like, belief you have. Like, if you never test your belief, then what the fuck? Like, it's not a belief, it's just... I don't know, something. Well, anyway. People ignore their, like any kind of evidence like to just move towards their own belief system like you know so they ignore it or they figure out ways to debunk it or like to try to prove that it's fake i mean like they they, they don't want to take in new information they want to reject the information a lot of times anymore in order to have it service their own predetermined beliefs so that's just the way it is um Anyway, fuck it. Happy 1971, I guess. I mean, Looking look, we ended on the we 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 ended on the biggest horror of all, kind of, which again is humans. Um, and just how, like, like to me, like the censorship of this movie is maybe like the biggest horror of all this entire list. Ultimately, like as like lame as that might sound, it's like the fact that like this movie still criticized to this day and is censored in some countries and isn't being released like by the production company that like owns it like to make some money like because it would make some money um it's just kind of horrifying that it's like this trumps capitalism (laughs) um to me like um hmm. right because there's going to be a small but vocal minority of people sure yeah that are going to get super angry about it and protest it and somehow sure equate it to the degradation of you know our society and whatever right they'll call it child abuse and (laughs) the release of it and they'll get away with it um and they'll keep it from actually like anybody will be able to do anything with a movie because I'm assuming our listeners from Texas, thank you everybody that's been downloading episodes from Texas. I'm assuming our listeners from Texas um, probably do not agree with um, all that mess. So, well, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if they do, yeah. hopefully you enjoyed listening about the horror movies. Um, <clears throat> all right. Next, well, no, we're off next week. 
we come back uh, in March with the top five most disturbing movies. And then we're going to do Oscars from the films of 90 through 95. That's technically the Oscars in 91 to 96. And we're going to do that reevaluating the Oscars idea that we did a couple of years ago with 70s films. And then we will be back with the top five horror movies of 1972, um, which is another interesting list. So any final thoughts, Frank? No, it's just it was a really good list this month. I mean, I'm super enjoying. I've actually really enjoyed everything we've watched this year. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm really I really like our disturbing movies list a lot, like. I'm super excited to talk about those movies, and um, which is odd. Yeah. We're, we're on the 25th of February. I haven't watched a single one yet, which is really odd for me at this point. But um, yeah, so I'll be really interested to see what's what's going on there because I don't think I've seen any of them. You've never seen them ever? Nope. What? Pretty sure I've never seen any of them. We'll talk off air. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Um, thank you for the downloads, and we will uh, be back in two weeks. Yep. Happy March, deuces.